Chapter Four of the Women Who Make Our Novels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Women Who Make Our Novels by Grant Overton. Chapter Four. Gertrude Atherton. Gertrude Atherton has been the subject of more controversy than any other living American novelist. It is one of the best evidences of her importance. England, we are told, regards her as the greatest living novelist of America. Many Americans so rate her. Abroad, the opinion of her work approaches something like unanimity, and it is very high. At home, unanimity is nowhere. Prophets are not the only ones who occasionally suffer a lack of honour in their own countries. A good deal of it comes out of Mrs. Atherton's long-standing and vigorous assault on the literary schools of William Dean Howells and Henry James. Pick up her novel Patient Sparhawk and her Times, written over twenty years ago, and you will find a trace of that feeling in her delineation of Patience's schoolteacher, who read these literary gods. But Mrs. Atherton seldom speaks her mind by indirection. All who cared have known her opinions as fast as she reached them. She has no use for commonplace people in life or fiction, and by commonplace people we mean not everyday people, but people about whom there is no distinction of thought or sensibility, who have no sharpness, no individuality, however simple, no gift, however slight. Henry James Foreman says that Mrs. Atherton is the novelist of genius, but this is one of those brilliantly epigrammatic characterizations which convey the truth by bold exaggeration. She has not always written of geniuses, but always she has written of men and women who had backbone, courage, distinct and recognizable selves, ambition, wit, daring, not merely flash but fire. She really writes about herself in dozens of reincarnations. Nothing daunts her that is alive. Vulgarity, wickedness, weakness, and bold sin she can understand and portray as accurately as the shining virtues. The only thing she cannot endure is the dead alive. Mr. Foreman was in essentials right when he said of her in the New York Evening Post of June 15, 1918, Genius has a particular fascination for her, and with a rare boldness she would rather face difficulties of creating or recreating genius in her fiction than to waste time on mediocre protagonists. With the newer school of English and American novelists, with the Frank Swinnertons and J.D. Beresfords, or the Mary Wattses, she has nothing in common, unless it be their patience. But she will not expend that patience on the drab or the colourless. An Alexander Hamilton or a Rezanov seems to be made to her hand, and if she cannot find what she wants in history or in fact, she prefers to dream of a woman genius, the young German countess Gisela Neibor, a Brunhilde, who leads her sisters to revolt against Prussianism and all that makes Germany hideous to the world today. To understand genius, it has been said, is to approach it, and Mrs. Atherton, beyond any doubt, understands genius. She understands its trials, temptations, vagaries, and accomplishments. She knows that the fires which feed it are certain to break out in many ways, aside from its recognized work. D. 
did mrs atherton take the trouble to acknowledge the existence of mrs grundy it would be only that she might destroy that unpopular lady brains is mrs atherton's favorite word any printer who sets up a novel of hers must add a special stock to his font of the six letters that spell it neither in her life nor in her work has she any patience with dullness she could no more have written pollyanna than she could have written the book of job the blithe all-conquering brain is her field of research mrs atherton he tells us neither talks nor writes like a book she is always buoyant and stimulating brains occupy as much space in her talk as in her books she is never dull and turning to the conqueror he develops his idea there were we know a few persons who resisted alexander hamilton but important though they were they were as dust under mrs atherton's feet hamilton led a charmed life hurricanes had spared him and the storms of war of party of faction left him safe he was a genius and cosmic forces enfolded him as in a protective shell surely no character was ever more certainly created to the hand of a novelist than was hamilton for mrs atherton not a merit or fault of his but mrs atherton could caress it with a mother's hand how she hates clinton because he fought her idol and how much she despises jefferson but washington even the most austere of the virtues of washington passed with mrs atherton because he loved hamilton as a father loves a son critics have sometimes charged mrs atherton with the grave misdemeanor of writing like herself not like somebody else of not being mrs wharton of not being henry james or robert louis stevenson the charge is just she is not any of those persons nor in the least like them she does not write for a handful of other writers nor does she waste much time in polishing sentences she writes for the public you cannot read five pages of her fiction without feeling certain that their author has lived life not merely dreamed it this is the most illuminating comment on mrs atherton that has so far seen the light of day and we shall not attempt more than to supply a footnote or two mr foreman says that mrs atherton writes for the public and not for writers true but is it the public which reads jean stratton porter or pollyanna decidedly not her public a very large one consists of those who do not ask or desire that fiction shall interpret them to themselves or shape their lives for them consciously or otherwise it is made up of the thousands who are capable of some degree of purely aesthetic enjoyment in literature for the pure ascetes mrs wharton et al for the unascetic and ethical the two mrs porters for the great host who appreciate literary art and story-telling skill but who won't sacrifice everything for them who demand a real narrative colour action suspense and seek no moral end in the tale to justify the tale's existence for them mrs atherton and they these people of her vast audience are the great middle ground they represent in their attitude toward fiction the healthiest note of all the literary or highbrow attitude toward mrs atherton is perfectly conveyed in an article upon her by mr h w boynton who published in the new york evening post but over two years earlier on february the twenty sixth nineteen sixteen we extract a few illustrative sentences i may say frankly that i write of mrs atherton not out of a special admiration for her work begins mr boynton 
in a highly self-revelatory manner, but because for any surveyor of modern American fiction she is so evidently a figure in some measure to be reckoned with. Her publicity may be said to have been extraordinary in proportion to her achievement. The person who is examining her work as literature can find nothing to the purpose here. Mrs. Belfame. How comfortable to feel like that. Mrs. Atherton, with an amused smile, would probably say, at the intimation that there was no literature in Mrs. Belfame, and perhaps other of her books, but life is so much more than literature. When Mr. Boynton charges her with leaving life out of her books, Mrs. Atherton will be seriously exercised. Gertrude Atherton is a great-grandniece of Benjamin Franklin. She was born in 1859 in San Francisco, the daughter of Thomas L. Horn. She was educated at St. Mary's Hall, Benicia, California, and at Sayre Institute, Lexington, Kentucky. At an early age, she was married to George H. Bowen Atherton, a Californian who decided to travel, and who died when he finally was lured to Chile as a guest on a warship. Mrs. Atherton describes her marriage as one of the most important incidents of my school life. She had always wanted to go round about the world, and when she wasn't able to do so, she amused herself by writing complete travel books, taking her characters through all parts of Europe. She knew enough geography to make her stories truthful. And I believe, Mrs. Atherton told Alma Louise Olson, in an interview appearing in Books and the Book World of the Sun, New York, on March 31, 1918, that I apply some of those same ideas to my writing of fiction today. Most lives are humdrum and commonplace, on the surface at least, so I take characters that haven't had half the chance in real life and recreate their destinies for them, and, well, my books are the result. I got the idea from Taine when I was very young. This interview also threw interesting light on Mrs. Atherton's novel, The Avalanche, announced for publication in the spring of 1919 by Frederick A. Stokes Company, New York. The Avalanche is a tale of California society with a mystery plot, and deals with a young woman whose devoted but shrewd New York husband will not rest until he has solved the puzzle of appearances surrounding her. Mrs. Atherton submerged most of the time in her New York apartment on Riverside Drive with war work. She returned from the European battlefronts to be the American head of Le Bien-être du Blessé, the welfare of the wounded, rose to the surface several days in the week at a quiet country spot in New Jersey, and wrote. The story developing thirteen chapters, she split the last in two. I wrote and copied fifty thousand words in seven weeks, which shows what one can do away from the telephone. Margaret Anglin told me the original incident and attempted to persuade me to write it as a play for her. Now that the book is finished, she would never recognize any part of it but an incident in the climax. That's always the way with writing novels and stories. I never know how they were going to come out when I begin, any more than I could take a child right now and say just how I was going to shape its whole life. Most writers who deal with California in their books tell about nature and the plain people and the proletariat and such things. No one but myself has ever told anything about social life in San Francisco. It is full of drama. It resembles New York in part, but it has a character all of its own. Mrs. Atherton works every morning from seven until noon, 
and does with dry bread and tea for a working lunch her new york apartment has balconied windows overlooking the hudson before the door of the house which contains it stands a barnard college dormitory eleanor gates writing in books and authors for september nineteen seventeen said in the winter time on first sundays the atherton apartment gathers in a very crush of notables authors painters soldiers diplomats publishers journalists people of fashion scholars travellers and not a few who figure under the general title of admirers of genius and who have manoeuvred for a card mrs atherton has the englishwoman's interest in world politics her knowledge of things european is of the rare first-hand kind her horizon is international the lucky old-time friend of the authors from out west meets in her drawing-room a good percentage of the most distinguished people of the metropolis along with men and women who are prominent abroad it is undoubtedly true that mrs atherton had she lived in france prior to seventeen eighty nine would have been a woman of a salon if there are modern de Stael's, she is among them the first book of mrs atherton's read by the present writer was senator north and he still holds it to be one of her best it was written in rouen and published in nineteen hundred mr boynton cites it as evidence that she is both consciously and unconsciously an american he thinks that her spread-eagling of barbaric yorp audible if involuntary was what won attention for her in england before her own country had begun to notice her and before mr boynton had begun to notice her mrs atherton has travelled widely before she starts work on a new novel she visits the contemplated scene of action she studies the characteristics of the people and exhausts all the sources of information concerning the place and its history as a result vividness is never lacking in her books local colour is there in such measure as she may determine desirable character drawing is reinforced by traits observed as well as traits assumed she is both quick and keen she notes and then generalizes with broad sweeping conclusions faults of taste are imputed to her but this means merely that those who make the criticism would exercise a different selective choice over the teemingly abundant material she invariably accumulates faults of structure are charged to her by those who do not like the way she and her characters shake amorphous life to their own ends lack of control of her material is the disapproving phrase mrs atherton has style only in the larger sense of self-expression but in the sense of that special and trained skill by which an artist expresses life with an almost infallible fitness it is difficult to connect the word with her at all we should hope so the almost infallible fitness makes for the satisfaction of those who have their own infallible standards of what is fit life hasn't any it lets anything happen life is vulgar broad incongruous surprising touching my style is all my own and not the result of magazine training which stamps the work of every other writer of the first class in the country there is something in that and those who quarrel with it do so mainly because they won't allow mrs atherton a certain exaggeration of statement to drive her point home even mr boynton allows that perch of the devil contains some of mrs atherton's finest work and is a considerable book in its way the character of ida compton is one which has excited and still excites so much interest 
that it is worth while to quote mrs atherton's own explanation of how she came to go to butte montana and evolve her she had been struck as who has not by the marvellous adaptability of american women in the capitals of europe four or five years of wealth study travel associations and they are fitted to hold their own with any of europe's ancient aristocracies i met so many of these women when i lived in europe explains mrs atherton that it finally occurred to me to visit some of the western towns and study the type at its source the result is ida compton in the various stages of her development moreover beginning when she was the young daughter of a butte miner and laundress i found myself meeting all american women in one the west today particularly the northwest embodies what used to be known as merely american any one of practically all the western women of nerve ambition and large latent abilities that i met in my travels through their section of the country might develop into a leader of new york society a roman american matron or a member of queen mary's court frowning upon too smart society with their puritanical inheritance they might even develop into good bostonians although they gravitate naturally to the more fluid societies if they choose to retain their slang they put it over with an innocent dash that is a part of their natural refinement they are virtuous by instinct and atmospherically broad-minded full of easy good nature but quick to resent a personal liberty they are both sophisticated and direct honest and subtle with all their undiluted americanism there is no development beyond them no role they cannot play for that reason these ida comptons are fundamentally all american women the crudest remind one constantly of hundreds of women one knows in the higher american civilizations and i found studying them at the source and developing one of them from the ground up watching all her qualities good and bad grow diminish fuse but never quite change even more interesting than meeting the finished product in europe and amusing myself speculating upon her past in the long list of mrs atherton's books with which this chapter concludes it would be desirable but it is hardly possible to follow the example of guidebooks and star and double star her more important novels it is impracticable because any such designations would have to be those of a single taste or of a coterie of tastes patient sparhawk the dramatized biography of alexander hamilton called the conqueror and possibly her recent novel of a german revolution or the revolt of the german women under the leadership of gisela nyboer would be marked with the double star certainly the conqueror would the present writer would single star senator north and the novels of early california the doomswoman rezanov the splendid idle forties and the californians of the living present we must speak to call attention to the final chapter in the book's second part a tribute to four new york women of whom one is honore wilsey the subject of a later chapter in this book the living present is not a novel the first half is concerned with french women in wartime the fruit of mrs atherton's observation and experience in war work the second half has the general title feminism in peace and war perch of the devil must be double starred so probably must ancestors and tower of ivory such books as rulers of kings and the travelling thirds are least important 
Mrs. Balfame was a capital mystery story, the result doubtless of Mrs. Atherton's attendance at a celebrated murder trial in the interests of a New York newspaper, must be single-starred in any list. The Valiant Runaways, long out of print, has been republished this fall, 1918. It is a story for boys of Spanish California, with an encounter with a savage bear, a rescue from a dangerous river, capture by Indians, and an escape on wild mustangs capped by a revolutionary battle. The performance may be considered a final reminder of Mrs. Atherton's versatility. No one has ever found fault with her for not being versatile. Books by Gertrude Atherton A Whirl Asunder, 1895 Frederick A. Stokes Company, New York, now out of print. Patience Sparthawk and Her Times, 1897, Stokes. His Fortunate Grace, 1897, John Lane Company, New York, now out of print. American Wives and English Husbands, 1898, Dodd, Mead and Company, New York. The Californians, 1898, Stokes. A Daughter of the Vine, 1899, Lane. The Valiant Runaways, 1899, Dodd, Mead. Senator North, 1900, Lane. The Aristocrats, 1901, Lane. The Conqueror, 1902, Stokes. The Splendid Idle Forties, 1902, Stokes. A Few of Hamilton's Letters, 1903, Stokes. Rulers of Kings, 1904, Harper and Brothers, New York. The Bell in the Fog, 1905, Harper. The Travelling Thirds, 1905, Harper. Ancestors, 1907, Harper. The Gorgeous Isle, 1908, Doubleday, Page and Company, not listed in their last catalogue. Tower of Ivory, 1910, Stokes. Julia France and Her Times, 1912, Stokes. Perch of the Devil, 1914, Stokes. California, An Intimate History, 1914, Harper. Before the Gringo Came, Combining the Doomswoman, published in 1892, and Rezanov, published in 1906, 1915, Stokes. Mrs. Belfame, 1916, Stokes. The Living Present, 1917, Stokes. The White Morning, 1918, Stokes. The Avalanche, 1919, Stokes. End of chapter 4